The title of this morning's message is The Ultimate Prescription, 30 Minutes at a Time. I want to talk to you this morning about the ultimate prescription for life. But before I tell you what this ultimate prescription is, I want to ask you one question. What is the one thing you desire most in the world? If a magic genie told you he could give you just one wish, what would you wish for? And the rule, of course, would be you only get one wish. You don't get to wish for more wishes, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and you have 10 seconds to decide, and if you don't say anything, you lose it. So what do you wish for? I took this question from this book, The Love Code. The Love Code is written by Alexander Lloyd. He's a PhD and an MD. He's a naturopathic doctor, and he has a doctorate in counseling. He wrote the book not to Christians, but to whosoever's. So whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, the things you can learn, you can put into practice. He has a lot to teach us, I think. So anyway, when I read that in the book, I thought, this is a trick question. <laughs> I'm not sure how it's a trick question, but I know this has to be a trick question. So I thought, well, okay, I'll play the game. Um, hmm, what would I wish for? Hurry, quick, 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 what would I wish for? A million dollars, maybe? And then I thought, no, if I'm going to wish for money, I'm going to wish for like $180 million. And then I thought, well, that's dumb. Why not just <laughs> wish for an endless supply of money? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get the wish, right? What would change if I got my wish? An endless supply of money. With an endless supply of money, I could probably buy the entire country of Haiti and install air conditioning. <laughs> Nothing would be impossible for me if I had an endless supply of money. There would be no end to the awesome things that I could do with an endless supply of money. I thought, you know, I like this game. <laughs> the endless supply of money game. <laughs> now, of course, that's not reality. But what the question reveals is what I'm actually aiming for my wish to produce in my life. It doesn't matter what you wish for. Did you think of something? Gosh, what would be that one thing I could have? What would that thing be? And how would it change my life? The reason it's a trick question is because the everything that everybody actually wants isn't what they wish for. You see, an endless supply of money could do a lot of things. But is that what I'm really aiming at? No. I'm actually aiming at love, joy, peace, and freedom. You see, there are lots of people who get rich who don't have love, joy, peace, or freedom. So it doesn't matter what you wished for. What that reveals to you is how you think your love, joy, peace, and freedom is going to come to you. See, that's the trick, is that we have a tendency to think the outside has to change if I'm going to walk in love, joy, peace, and freedom. It's not true. The end goal of my wish wasn't having money. The end goal was actually wanting to live in a place of love, joy, and peace with no financial worries or concerns for myself or my husband, 
or anyone in my family or anybody that I know. <laughs> I could meet everybody's needs. That would be so awesome and fun. <laughs> but see, the point I was actually trying to get to is the love, the joy, and the peace. Mark and I sometimes, um, we play. Now, what if we won the lottery game? Now, we don't even play the lottery. How's that? We figure if we're winning the lottery, God is telling somebody to give us a ticket <laughs> because we don't even play. <laughs> but we do. We'll say, oh, if we want $180 million, what would we do with that money? All of our kids get new houses, new cars, private education. Haiti might get air conditioning. <laughs> but then we go into, oh, this minister, oh, this ministry. Oh, we could change the world if we had all of this money. But what we're actually wanting is for everybody we know to have love, joy, peace, and freedom. We just happen to think it would come through money. We think it would come from the outside in. That's natural thinking. But love, joy, peace, and freedom doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. So in the moment that I briefly thought about what I would actually wish for, it was just off the cuff. I knew there was some kind of trick to this, but I was just going along with the game. And of course, that's exactly what the question is supposed to do, to get you to reveal to yourself what you're chasing. Where do I really believe my love, joy, peace, and freedom come from? Do I believe that the outside of me, the circumstances of my life, that's what gives me these things? Or is it my Jesus that gives me these things? You see, almost nobody ever answers the genie question with the right answer. Almost nobody. But the truth is, love, joy, and peace is actually what everyone is looking for. It's just that most people believe love, joy, peace, and freedom come from the outside, from our circumstances. Now, so for some people, they believe that the love, joy, peace, and freedom come when they find Mr. or Mrs. Right. <laughs> if I had the right husband, if I had the right wife, if I had this, that's when I'll have love, joy, and peace. When I get married, oh, getting married is a whole different story. <laughs> Some think they will have love, joy, and peace when they reach their goal weight, or when they get their degree, or when they get healed, or when they're finally free from their addictions. They believe the love and joy and peace that they want more than anything else is something they really can't have until their circumstances change. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying circumstances are, that, that they don't affect us. They do. They absolutely can and do. But circumstances only dictate our internal state of being if we let them. If we believe that love, joy, and peace, and freedom come from the outside in then we will chase those things that we think will bring us love, joy, and peace in the end. The truth is, I have love, joy, and peace right now, and freedom, without any of my circumstances changing, and without an endless supply of money, even though that would be so much fun. <laughs> but that's because I know the source of love, joy, peace, and freedom. God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And they all live inside of me right now. So right now, I have love, joy, and peace, and freedom. 
God as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is love. God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our peace. And God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our joy. Now, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit also want us to have the good things on the outside. He's not interested in keeping good things away from us. He just knows that even if we got them, if we don't have him, we're still going to be empty. We're still going to be looking for Mr. Right and Mrs. Wonderful <laughs> and the right weight and the right circumstances and the right job. Always thinking that that's where our love, joy, peace, and freedom are going to come from. He wants us to have the health we want and the spouse that he's chosen and the money we need and the opportunities we're hoping for. He wants and has actually already provided those things for us to walk into. He wants us to have and to walk in all the freedom and goodness that he has already provided for us. This freedom includes freedom from all the power and presence of sin and death. Freedom from things like anger, depression, anxiety, fear, hopelessness, despair, unforgiveness, self-righteousness, self-loathing, and even self-comparison. And of course, freedom from guilt, shame, and condemnation. All of these things are internal states of being. And it's our internal state of being and believing that actually produce the external realities in our life. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says this, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Now, normally, we don't quote this whole verse <laughs> because then we have to explain it. <laughs> but I actually wanted to explain it, so I included the whole thing. In this proverb, Solomon is being warned about dining with very rich men who have extravagant and expensive dinners and who would outwardly encourage him to partake freely, but who actually have ulterior motives and who would want the king to feel obligated to them because of their supposed generous hospitality, those ulterior motives. The advice given is, don't believe what others say and do when you know the motive of their heart is not good or honest. Pretending outwardly to be good does not make someone inwardly good. Even an evil, stingy man will happily pretend to be generous in order to ingratiate himself to the king's favor. If the king likes me, I can get anything I want, so I will happily pretend to be gracious. <laughs> so in other words, who a man is in his heart is the real man. And eventually the thoughts and intents of his heart will be revealed through his character. Now we usually use this verse in a much more positive slant, but the point is the same. Who we are in our heart is who we really are. As believers, who God has made us to be in our heart is the real us. Even if outwardly our behavior doesn't always line up with the inward reality. This is good news. <laughs> inwardly, I am the righteousness of God in Christ outside. Maybe not all the time. <laughs> See, we can rest in the fact that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am acceptable to my father. He likes me. <laughs> he likes to hang out with me. He says, this is who you really are. We don't even know who we really are apart from him telling us. 
because we'll fall into the ways of the world who say you are what you have, you are what you do. And the Father says, no, honey, you are who I've made you to be. So understanding that we are who we really are in our heart, even if our outward behavior doesn't line up all the time, is good news. Because chances are, at any given time, you will be struggling with something. <laughs> we know that our inward man wants to walk in truth and love and joy and peace and freedom. But sometimes our outer man, our flesh, our natural thinking can keep us from living out of who we really are in Christ. It is very common for people, including Christians, to believe that it's their circumstances that actually cause them to have either peace, love, and joy, or misery, anxiety, and depression. When in fact, it is our internal state of being, our thinking in our heart, that actually produces the external states of being. And we see this truth in Proverbs 4, verse 23. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. It says this, Above all, guard the affections of your heart. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Wellspring simply means a continuous supply. It's the source. So what I believe in my heart absolutely affects everything in my life. Everything. So what this is saying is that what's in our heart, in our own mind, will, and emotions, is the source of what comes forth in our lives. This is, I'm telling you, one of the hardest things to get somebody to believe. Over the years, having done counseling, most people are convinced somebody else needs to change <laughs> so I can be happy and walk in love, truth, and peace, and freedom. If they would just stop being X, Y, or Z, or doing this, that, and the other, then I could live in peace. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> it is actually one of the hardest things to get someone to believe that their own heart, their own mind, will, and emotions are what is really responsible for our exterior state of being more than anything else. Most of us prefer to blame things, people, and circumstances on the outside of us. We prefer to believe that by changing the circumstances, we will then achieve the internal state of being what we're really seeking for, love, joy, peace, and freedom, which never lasts for very long making lots of money or losing lots of weight or finding the love of our life, even if we attain it, our peace, love, and joy will only be temporary. Because once you marry that person, he will annoy you. <laughs> Doesn't matter how much you love him, he will do things that drive you a little bit crazy. Often when people attain fame or great success that they've worked really hard for, they often become depressed and discontented because what they thought they were going to get and apprehend through whatever that goal was, it's not there. They find the reality that we all at some point come to realize it's not the outside that gives me peace and love, joy, and freedom. It's the inside. It's Christ. Researchers and scientists who study human behavior have come to recognize that what people really actually need 
in order to overcome their struggles and attain their dreams is to actually employ the ultimate prescription. So what is this ultimate prescription? Well, we actually looked at it last time I ministered. It's in 2 John chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. This is the Apostle John, often called the Apostle of Love, writing to a lady pastor and her house church, and he reminds her of the ultimate prescription. I have it for you in the ERV because I like this particular version in this because I want you to see this one sentence. <laughs> I'm going to start with verse 4. I was very happy to learn about some of your children. I am happy that they are following the way of truth. What is the way of truth? Jesus. <laughs> Just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I tell you, we should all love each other. This is not a new command. It is the same command we had from the beginning. And loving means living the way he commanded us to live. And God's command is this, that you live a life of love. You heard this command from the beginning. Now, I personally do not like the word command. <laughs> it's always sounded very negative to me when God commands. It sounds like God is demanding something. I don't think that's a good translation myself. <laughs> I've always had a bit of a hard time with it. So I want you to see the, what the Webster's definition of command actually is. It says, to command is to bid, to order, to direct, to charge, implying authority and the power to control and to require obedience. Does that sound like God to you? <laughs> if it does, we have a problem. Because this is how so much of the church interprets it. You have to love or else. <laughs> no. <laughs> this does not sound like a loving relationship. It sounds like the military. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a marriage relationship. And the idea of requiring obedience just makes me want to not do whatever somebody is telling me to do. <laughs> this kind of command reminds me of the IRS. I'm not really terribly fond of the IRS. They have all these rules. I mean, it's unbelievable how many rules they have. And even if you don't know the rules, if you break the rules, you are in big trouble. <laughs> they will penalize you and fine you and charge you immense amounts of money. And you didn't even know you did something wrong. <laughs> I don't like the IRS. <laughs> but that's not how God is. So much of the church thinks God's mad. If you're not walking the chalk perfectly, God is mad, and you're going to be penalized, you're going to be fined, and he's going to inflict some pain so that you remember not to do whatever that was again. That is not who God is. Now, I know we need military and law enforcement for our own protection, but I don't believe that's how our Father and our Jesus want us to see our relationship with them. And I think the Strong's Concordance can help us see a much better way to understand this word Command. The English word command is the Greek word intole. And according to the Strong's, it means injunction. That is an authoritative prescription. I love this definition. It makes so much more sense. <laughs> this definition really helped me to see the heart of God behind the word command. For me, when I think of an authoritative prescription, I think of going to the doctor to get help with something that I haven't yet been able to fix on my own. And so I ask somebody with knowledge and hopefully wisdom <laughs> to give me directions on how to alleviate my physical problem. 
the doctor has the authority to dispense both advice and medication. And I can either choose to comply with his prescriptions or go somewhere and get a different opinion. God, unlike a human doctor, knows everything about everything. I really like that about him. <laughs> he knows everything about everything, and he knows how to bring forth the specific healing remedy that I am looking for in my life. It doesn't matter what the problem is. Our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need to do in any given situation. And what God prescribes to the apostle of love in 2 John is to add agape love to the truth that is found only in Jesus. Agape love and truth is the answer that the believers are actually looking for and didn't know it. <laughs> let's look at the scripture again, but this time let's substitute the word prescribe or prescription for the word command or commandment. So this is Valerie's easy to read version, <laughs> beginning with verse four. I was very happy to learn about some of your children. I am happy that they are following the way of truth, Jesus, just as the Father has prescribed for us. And now, dear lady, I tell you, we should all agape love each other. This is not a new prescription. It's a refill. <laughs> this is not a new prescription. <laughs> it is the same prescription we had from the beginning. And agape loving means living the way he, our Father, has prescribed for us to live. And God's prescription is this, that you live a life of agape love. You heard this prescription from the beginning. I think the word prescription paints a much better picture than the word command. Because a prescription is something that is provided for us, not something demanded from us. God provides what he prescribes. God would not advise us to live a life of agape love if he hadn't first provided us with the agape love that we need to actually use to apply to our lives. We see this in Romans 5, verse 5. This is the Amplified Bible. Such hope in God's promises never disappoints because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. God says we already have the healing remedy our lives and our hearts need. We have his agape love and we have the Holy Spirit to enable us to apply it. <laughs> he has provided everything we need in order to employ this ultimate prescription to live a life of agape now, I'm a Word of Faith girl from way back. <laughs> I know the importance of knowing the truth of the Word of God and the importance of understanding the truth of the promises that are contained in the New Covenant. If we don't know what actually belongs to us, we won't actually be able to place our faith or our trust in what our Heavenly Father says actually belongs to us. Forever, I was afraid of losing the Holy Spirit. But it says right here in Romans 5, 5, the Holy Spirit is a gift to me. He's my Holy Spirit now. <laughs> you can have your own. <laughs> but he's a gift to me. He will never leave me, never forsake me, even if I don't act the way I think I ought to act. When we hear the truth of what God has already provided through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, such as healing and provision and safety and, of course, the forgiveness of sins, it is in the hearing 
and accepting of that truth that causes faith to spring up. Remember that wellspring? To spring up in our heart. And that kind of faith takes and receives unto ourselves what we actually believe is true. Years ago, I learned from Kenneth Copeland that hearing God for myself through his written word would bring me instant peace. I learned that I didn't have to live in it with an internal state of fear and doubt all the time. I could have an internal state of being full of peace, love, and joy instantly. I figured out what the word said was true, that when God speaks, bam, <laughs> the light turns on, the darkness flees, and I'm not afraid anymore. Just hearing the truth of God spoken to me by the Spirit changed my heart because I apprehended that truth by faith. We see all the miracles in Scripture. They're instant miracles, right? Well, they saw Jesus do it once. <laughs> They're like, okay, if you did it for a leper, they don't get anything good. If you did it for a leper, you'll do it for me. They saw him do it once, and they said, I want that too. That's what happened to me. I heard someone say, you can hear God for yourself. You can go to the Word of God and get the answer to your problem. He will tell you exactly what it is you need to do. Oh, yeah, he might say you need to apply this prescription. <laughs> apply a little love. <laughs> but I always got an answer. I figured out, if you will, hearing God, hearing truth, brought my peace. It didn't matter what the outside was doing. Hearing God speak to me always brought the answer because the, the truth always brought the light. The light was always the prescription. Now, all of these internal states of being, love, peace, joy, freedom, are all apprehended by believing what God says is true. Sometimes we struggle with believing what God says is true. Our heart tells us something different. But when we believe what God says, faith comes. Faith comes by hearing, not the word of God, but the spoken word of Christ. When the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart through his word, it changes you. The light comes on, power comes, faith is available, and you can take and receive anything and everything you need. When faith comes, it brings with it the internal state of being called peace, love, joy, and freedom. Now, this internal state of being is also fruit. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, we see that by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so forth are all fruit. It says this, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of the commentators I read said it would probably be better put if they had translated the word fruit for graces. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, they are the graces. It is the working of the Holy Spirit in us to bring forth free loving kindness and divine enablement. He has all the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, voicefulness, gentleness, and self-control that we have need of by grace. <laughs> I liked that because faith is for what is of grace. I don't earn love or joy. 
I don't earn those things. They are given to me as a grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor and divine enablement. So God's grace with his divine enablement, I apprehend by faith, by believing what we actually already have, and he says that we already have. How many Christians do you ever hear them say, I have no patience? <laughs> or I have little patience, like I have a little tiny bitty fruit from the Holy Spirit. Is this Holy Spirit really short on patience? <laughs> no. So are you really short on patience? No. <laughs> you actually have big patience on the inside of you. You may have some trouble accessing it, but you have to start what you know is true. I have all the patience I need as a gift and empowered by the Holy Spirit to operate in it. God says that as a free gift of his favor, the Holy Spirit in us provides us with all of the joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, and we don't usually like this one, self-control. <laughs> we actually have self-control. We're not short on self-control. We may not be accessing our self-control <laughs> because we don't want to. <laughs> we actually do have it <laughs> and we don't have to come up with it on our own we often find it hard to believe that all of this actually lives inside of us because we don't necessarily feel like we have all of this on the inside of us <laughs> in fact most of the time we actually try to manifest the fruit of the spirit by our own willpower i will be patient not like that, you won't. <laughs> I will be kind. Not like that, you won't. <laughs> At least not for very long. The truth is, when we choose to walk in agape love, the ultimate prescription, by faith, not by feeling, these graces or fruit will begin to show up naturally. Now, you've probably noticed that these graces don't operate within us automatically all the time. You see, that's why we think we don't have them. Patience is not the absence of feeling impatient. <laughs> okay, see, that's what we think patience is. I will never feel impatient. That's not patience. Patience is the ability to cheerfully endure. <laughs> It's called long-suffering. When it comes to people, the ability to cheerfully endure while we love them. <laughs> One of the things I learned years ago from Joyce Meyer is she said, if you ever find yourself feeling impatient, just remember that impatience, the root of that is pride. Pride says, I am more important than you. You should get out of my way. <laughs> I am more important than you. You should be faster to wait on me. If we understand what the root of impatience is, you by choice can turn it off. If I'm at the grocery store and there's a little old lady, she's got her pennies out. <laughs> 
Dear Jesus, give me patience. <laughs> I can cheerfully endure waiting while she is, her needs are met by choice. Because you know what I do? I say, that is not me. Being impatient, that's not coming from my real me. The real me is patient. I can stand here all day and cheerfully endure because I have the power by faith to do so. I can turn impatience off if I know what it is. If you know that it isn't really you that's feeling impatient. The real you is completely at peace in Jesus Christ. You are not bothered by the little old lady and her 400 nickels. <laughs> Doesn't bother you a bit, why? Because you love. You agape love. I am one spirit with agape love. I can't agape love apart from Christ. I have to have agape love in order to give it away. We can turn things off when we recognize what it is we're actually feeling. When I feel impatient, I know it's not me, the real me in my heart. It's my flesh. You can shut it down. You have all the power of God on the inside. You can shut it down. That is a lie. That is not who I am. That's not the real me, and I refuse to walk in that. And just like that, you can shut it down. Most of the time, we actually try to manifest the Holy Spirit, not by faith, but by willpower. And we don't know we're really doing it. We think, if I'm exerting a lot of self-effort, come on, Holy Spirit! But you can't get the Spirit to move by trying to force Him to move. How does the Holy Spirit move in us? By faith. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I have the fruit, the grace, the ability, divine ability to walk in patience. We are in charge of this, <laughs> all of ourselves, and we have the ability to shut down things that are not from us. In faith, we rest in the truth of God's word and in the reality of his presence within us. It is believing that I actually am what he says I am. I am patient. I am long-suffering. doesn't matter how I feel about it. So the truth is we can choose to walk in agape love on purpose and by faith. Now, I say agape love because agape love is different from merely human love. Human love is based on give-and-take relationships and feelings. If you love me, if there's a pretty good chance, I love you too. <laughs> That's how it works <laughs> with human beings. We like to be loved. We like to have things in common. We love those who love us. That's normal. But agape love is different because it's focused on the recipient of love and not on the giver of love. Agape love does what's best for somebody else rather than what's best for one's self. In other words, it is understood as being sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, <laughs> discomfort, and even loss for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. This is God's kind of love. He loves us just as we are, even if we never love him 
in return. He doesn't love us so that we will love him. He loves us because he is himself love. He doesn't use love as a means of getting love in return. That is what humans usually do. We love people in the hopes that they will love us back. <laughs> if they don't love us back, we get our feelings hurt. Because <laughs> we're expecting them to love us back. We can see this truth in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. This is Jesus speaking. He is using the word agape love for the word love. If you look it up in the Greek, it's the word agape. But what we're going to see here is that he's actually trying to elevate their understanding of the word agape. Also in this passage, I have inserted a little translation enhancement. <laughs> the word translated as think is the Greek word charis, which means grace, God's free favor and divine enablement. It is often translated thank or thanks because when somebody recognizes that they are receiving grace, the response of the heart is always thanksgiving. So when we give thanks for a meal, it is because we recognize that what's on the table has been given to us by grace, God's provision. That's why we call it saying grace. It's our response to recognizing God's provision as a grace. So beginning in verse 32, it says this, If ye agape love those which agape love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Now if we use the word grace, because that is what the word is, okay, <laughs> let's hear that again. For if we agape love those who agape love you, what grace have ye? What grace are you partaking of in order to love people who love you? For sinners also love those that love them. What is he saying? You don't need grace <laughs> for human kind of love. It's natural to love people who love you. But what about people who don't love you? <laughs> Verse 33. If ye do good to them which do you good, what thank or what grace have ye? For sinners who are not partaking of God's grace do the same. He's trying to show them, look, if you're going to agape love and call it agape love, you're going to need the grace, the divine enablement to be able to do it the way it's supposed to be done. <laughs> if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what grace have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. In verse 35, but agape love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. For your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children, and the word there is actually sons, adult sons of the highest. For he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. And the word for evil is perneros, the hurtful. How many of us are kind to people who hurt us? <laughs> You need grace to be able to do that. It doesn't come naturally. How do you lend money to people you know will never pay you back? Grace. Because nothing in you wants to do that. <laughs> you need the help of the Holy Spirit. He has the grace to help us love even those who are unthankful and evil. This is the ultimate prescription for life. 
choose to live a life of agape love by being divinely enabled by the Holy Spirit and his graces. We can't do it in our own strength. And the truth is, we wouldn't want to <laughs> if he didn't already live inside of us. <laughs> we need all of the graces of the Holy Spirit. And not just so that we can love our enemies, but really, we also need God's grace to agape love those who we humanly already love. Over the years, the Lord has taught me many lessons when it comes to understanding this kind of love. In one of those lessons, I learned that agape love is a kind of love that has no desire to control or manipulate the person loved. Now, that sounds like that's pretty obvious, right? In our love, do we really want to control people and make them do what we want them to do? Yes, we do. <laughs> Sometimes we don't understand why we do what we do, but the truth is, yeah, because we're used to human love. Now, it wasn't obvious to me when the Holy Spirit first revealed this to me. You see, as a young mother many years ago, I believed it was my job to control my children. Have you ever heard someone tell a parent that their child is unruly and they need to control it? <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> it is a false assumption that you can control people. <laughs> I had heard that many times, that good parents are parents who control their children. And one of the ways that I attempted to control my kids' behavior was through yelling at them. Well, one day the Lord was teaching me about his agape love, and one of the things he told me was that agape love does not yell at people. <laughs> Guess how I wanted to control my kids. I remember the moment the Lord told me this. I was cooking dinner. I had just yelled down the stairs to the children. <laughs> and God said, you're not allowed to do that anymore. And I was like, uh, you know how I live, right? I have three floors and four children. They're all at different places at different times, and I'm not allowed to yell now? <laughs> he says, you can yell for them to come to you so that they can hear you. You're not allowed to yell at them when they come to you. You see, because of the different floors and all of these children, I was used to yelling up the stairs and yelling down the stairs and giving commands and do this and do that. And I was trying to control the household. <laughs> but the Lord showed up and told me to stop yelling at my kids because I was actually trying to be in control of them, which was not about love. Love doesn't control people. I was trying to control their behavior by anger and yelling. And I believed that it was my responsibility to coerce my children into listening and obeying because I loved them so much. <laughs> I believed I was yelling at them because I loved them so much and I want what's best for them. And there are lots of people, lots of believers who are doing the same thing. I love you, Lord, you're doing what I want you to do. <laughs> and we think it's love <laughs> because they really do love them. <laughs> but they get on our last little nerve. <laughs> I was actually frustrated at them. And I thought it was because I loved them and wanted what was best for them. But the Lord showed me that what I was really doing was using verbal force because I didn't want to use physical force. I didn't want to spank them. I didn't want to put them in the corner. 
I had no desire to hurt my kids. I just wanted to be able to control them. <laughs> so I was using yelling and anger as a replacement for physical discipline. And the Lord showed me that agape love doesn't yell. He had given me the prescription. Apply agape love. But now I can't yell? <laughs> How is this going to work, Jesus? <laughs> you see, love doesn't try to control. I thought it did. It doesn't. Think about it. Agape love doesn't try to control us. How does our Father love us? Is he yelling at us? Is he trying to coerce us into behaving? <laughs> Is he threatening you know, disciplines and punishments if we don't do what he wants us to do? No. Amen. <laughs> the church thinks he does. Has your father ever made you do something? Made you? No. He persuades you. He reminds you how good he is and that his way always works. <laughs> Even if your flesh is screaming all the time you're doing it, he never makes you. You have to cooperate. He doesn't control us. Gape love doesn't control or manipulate people. It gives them freedom to learn and to trust and to grow. Our Heavenly Father leads, persuades, directs, corrects. Yes, absolutely, the Holy Spirit corrects us. But he teaches us. And he does all of this because he loves us, not because he wants to control us. I really believed that I did what I did because I loved my kids and I wanted what was best for them. But the truth was I did what I did because I was afraid. I thought if I could control them, I could keep them safe. I could keep them growing in that which is good for them. And if I just could control them, they would grow up to be wonderful, healthy adults and everything would be wonderful. And it's all because I controlled them. <laughs> I was young. Let me tell you right now, I was very young. <laughs> I was afraid of them making poor decisions. I was afraid of them hurting themselves. I was afraid of all the things that they could come up with to do wrong when I wasn't in the room. <laughs> God doesn't have fear regarding us. He leads us in and through love, not in and through fear. God never, never, never uses fear. It's not in his toolbox. He uses love. Well, guess what? I'm still in the process of learning the same lesson. Recently, I had a friend who made some really big life decisions. And from where I stood, I thought, I don't think that is in their best interest. I don't think this is going to come out well for them. And I found myself angry. Why are you making bad decisions? <laughs> don't you know this is going to hurt you in the end? <laughs> And I had that same frustrated feeling I had with my children. You see, I do love my friend. I do want what's best for them. And I want to be able to stop them and control them from making all these bad decisions. That's not love. That's fear. I'm afraid you're going to hurt yourself. And I don't have an endless supply of money to be able to rescue you. <laughs> you see, if I had that endless supply of money, Go ahead, make a bad decision, I'll bail you out. <laughs> As I didn't understand it. I kept telling the Lord, I know I shouldn't be angry with my friend. They really do believe they're doing exactly what God wants them to do. They believe they're following God. But from my perspective, I'm like, this will not end good. 
<laughs> my way would be much better. <laughs> I wanted to spank my friend and send her to her room <laughs> until she had a change of heart. <laughs> because I really do love them and want them to make good decisions. But you see, I fell into the same lie I did when my own children were small. That if I control them, I can keep them safe. If I can control them, I can meet their needs. I can control them. It was all about me having control, not about trusting God. You know, it can be scary to trust God, especially with your kids. <laughs> I believe that I was frustrated because I love them so much and I want good things for them. But what the Lord showed me while I was preparing this message, what I was actually frustrated about was because I had no control over my friend's decisions and outcomes. All I could do was believe God on their behalf. <laughs> and sometimes that feels helpless. <laughs> Jesus, please take care of them. I don't know how you're going to rescue them, Lord, but you can turn all things for good. <laughs> all I could do was believe that if my friend was making a mistake, that the God of all comfort and peace and love and joy would intervene and do what his word says he does, turn all things for good. In order to get rid of the anger I had for my friend, I had to give up my desire to be in control of them. And simply to learn that moment by moment, I have to trust God to take care of my friend because I can't. Now you might be thinking, what does this have to do with the ultimate prescription? <laughs> the truth is we cannot live a life of agape love if we're trying to be in control of other people or in control of their circumstances. Neither is actually possible. We'll only drive ourselves crazy. <laughs> we have to be able to lean on the Holy Spirit and ask him for the graces that we need in order to choose to do agape love one moment at a time. Years ago, after I got divorced, I was an emotional mess. And I went to my Christian therapist, and she says, Paint me a picture of how you feel right now. And I thought, you know, this is me. There's this little beautiful box, wonderful wrapping paper, beautiful bowl, but if you shake it, you can hear all the broken pieces. Nothing was put together in my heart. My whole life and heart was shattered. And it, what it felt like was I would never be whole again. It felt like I was too much of a mess for God to put back together. But one of the things she told me, it was actually scriptural. She said, don't look at the future and ask when. And don't look at the past and ask why. Stay in the moment. You can't do anything about the future. You can't do anything about the past, but you can stay in the moment and live a life of love. She knew if I looked to the future, I would hear the box of shattered pieces. 
And if I looked to the past, I would hear the box of shattered pieces. But if I lived in the moment, the right now, of letting my Savior love me back to wholeness, that my future would be bright. She knew the prescription. It isn't just for people who feel like their life has been shattered. It is the ultimate prescription for every Christian. Live in the moment of being loved and loving. We can't control what other people do, say. Can't control circumstances, but I can control me. And I can choose to live every moment being loved and loving. The author of this book says, make a goal for yourself. Because you see, I can say, I'm going to live in love and then forget all about it. <laughs> he says, give yourself a little practice period, 30 minutes. God, for the next 30 minutes, I'm not going to look to the future and try to figure it all out. And I'm not going to look to the past and ask you a whole bunch of your questions why. I'm going to live right here, right now, in your presence, being loved. And I'm going to love everyone in my sphere, one moment at a time. What happens is the more we practice something with Jesus, the better we get at it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you call it practice or not. If you choose, God, I'm going to do just that. I'm going to not look to my future and not look to my past, but look to the present. Christ is here. He is in me and he is present and he has everything I need and he is everything I am. And we grow in our being mindful of who we really are. We forget who we really are. We think we have little patience. <laughs> the truth is we have all the patience we need. Of course, when you talk about agape love, you've got to look at 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm closing with this. This is the Passion Translation. One of the reasons we don't act like who we are is because of the lies we believe. I believed I had to control my children to protect them instead of trusting God to help me protect them. It is the lies that we have in our own understanding that prevent us from being outwardly who we already are inwardly. In 1 Corinthians 13, we have the love passage, but we have to realize this is who Jesus is and who we are in him, beginning with verse 4. And this is something we can pray every day <laughs> until it becomes part of us. Father God, in you, your love, our love is large and incredibly patient. Because of Christ, I am incredibly patient. You see, most of us can't say that without feeling like it's a lie. But see, if it feels like a lie, it's because you believe it's the opposite is true. We believe lies, and lies feel true to us. If I believe I have no patience, when I say I have no patience, we absolutely believe it. But if we say something opposite, what Christ says about us, Christ, you say, I am patient, therefore I am. If that feels funny, like you're lying, it's because you believe a lie. And you can change it. You can reprogram your heart to believe the truth. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And in him, I am patient. I am long-suffering. In him, I am gentle. And I am consistently kind to all. In him, I refuse to be jealous when blessings come to other people. In him and in his love, I do not brag about my own achievements or inflate my own self-importance. Christ in me, the love in me, does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. 
love, that's who I am. Love is not easily irritated <laughs> and does not take quick offense. Love, who I am in Christ, joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in wrong. Love is who I am, and in his love I am in a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love, me, who I am in Christ, never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love, agape love, me, in Christ, never stops loving. Never stops loving. We don't live our life all at once. We don't even live our life in large chunks of time. We live our life one moment at a time. When God says he wants us to live a life of agape love, it is something we can do in the moment by the grace and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you do enable us to do what we can't do on our own. Father God, I ask that you lead us into all truth in the area of living a life of love. We thank you, Father God, that we can if we choose to. If we choose to believe you, believe your word, and believe the power of your Holy Spirit within us. Father God, you have prescribed a life of love, and you have filled the prescription through the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.